Oh, you know what, church? Just every now and then, we need to stop and appreciate the musicians who get here at 6 in the morning and spend the whole Sunday so we can worship. Can we just appreciate them a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I noticed this morning that all of them have kind of a hat fetish. You don't see Brent's on and Dan's, but he's got, there it is. Yep, he's got it there. It's getting a little weird around here, but it's good to see you this morning. Welcome to Second Service here at MRCC, and welcome to everybody joining us online as well. We know you. We appreciate you. We see you. Not really, but we say that so you'll feel good. Uh, it's great to have you with us this morning. I'm kind of flying solo this weekend. You guys don't know how insanely crazy my wife is about Oregon Duck sports. So at 5 o'clock yesterday morning, her and her sister were downtown in Eugene uh, because ESPN Game Day was there, if you know where that is, kind of this big national show. They were down there at 5 in the morning dressed in togas trying to get on national TV. So if you're operating under the illusion that my wife is super spiritual and a cut above everybody, yeah, uh, but they were, having, they were having a lot of fun, her and her sister get together. So you just put that image in your head and it'll never go away. Uh, but it's good to see you. Welcome this morning. It's good to be with you. Hey, before we hurry on, I want to pray. I heard from so many people this week who are wrestling with sickness. Um, as a matter of fact, a uh, dear couple from our first service, Tim and Marty Teak, and Marty's in the hospital in Ampla uh, this morning because of COVID. Um, she's uh, you know, quite a bit older, less healthy, but uh, we're praying for her. But I've heard about so many who are sick, and we want to pray uh, for them, but not just sick in body, but also many sick in spirit. And that, that verse that Pastor Weston referred to there in Revelation chapter 4, it's a powerful image. And what's happening there is that there's this scroll about what's going to happen in the future. And in the vision, nobody can open it because nobody's worthy to open it. And there's some cultural context. What it means is nobody's really able to carry it out. And then there's only one in all of heaven who's worthy, and it's the lamb who was slain. And, and the lamb is able to open the scroll and then begins uh, kind of the talking about the end times. And, and what we're meant to take away from that church is that Jesus holds the future in his hands, okay? It doesn't depend on a poll. It doesn't depend on an election. It doesn't depend on what a dictator does in this country or that country. Jesus holds the future in his hands. And we're meant to rest in that and know that. And it doesn't mean we don't engage, but it means we have that confidence that he alone is worthy to have that authority, and he alone has that authority. Amen? So would you pray with me this morning? Let's bow our heads. Father, we come to you today thinking of so many who are wrestling with sickness, colds and flus and, and God, COVID. And, and Lord, I think of dear friends of mine wrestling with cancer. God, we pray for healing in Jesus' name. We pray that you would touch each and every one. Lord, you say we don't have because we don't ask, so we are asking. God, we pray for healing. And, and Lord, we ask that it would not just touch the body, God, but that it would touch the heart, the mind, the spirit. Put your people at ease, God, as we know that the future is in your hands. Fix our eyes on your promises. On you, Jesus, the lamb who was slain and rose again and returns in victory. God, help us feel your authority that we might rest in our faith. We pray for that, God. 
We ask that you would pour your spirit out on Children's Church, Lord. We know that it's the most important thing that happens here on Sunday morning. Just down the hallway in all those classrooms, bless every teacher, every leader. God, we pray for our nation. We ask you to bring healing and drive out the darkness. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, uh, I, I got a few things to share with you before we jump into God's Word together. We're going to be in Titus chapter 2. This is our second week of our journey through Titus. So if you want to run ahead, you can. Titus chapter 2. But a few announcements. First of all, real quick. Tomorrow night, uh, fellas, is our monthly Band of Brothers men's dinner. So that's going to happen tomorrow night here in the sanctuary. You're invited to come be a part of that. No cost, as always. We have a terrific time together. Bring a friend. That's happening tomorrow night. Tuesday is the Mops Trunk or Treat. Mops is the Mothers of Preschoolers, MOPS. They have a bi-weekly ministry that happens on Tuesday morning. And this Tuesday, they're just going to be hosting a Trunk or Treat in the parking lot for the kids, for the little ones. So if, you, if you're free and you could come out and just, you know, fill your trunk full of all that, that good candy we tell our kids not to eat, bring that down and we're going to distribute it and just bless the kids. That's going to happen 10 o'clock on Tuesday. Be aware of that. Then on Saturday, we're going to do it all again because there's no such thing as too much sugar, right? So on Saturday, Saturday at 10 o'clock will be our fun fest uh, for the Impact and, and uh, uh, Forge Kids Clubs on Wednesday night. That's second through fifth graders. And uh, by the way, Pastor Allison asked me to make a note. Hey, if you could come down and help us put on that, that carnival, that festival, if you could serve for a couple hours on that Saturday, this Saturday morning, 10 to 12, that would be terrific. We could certainly use you. Just let her know you're available. It's always a, a great time. I think last year we had 430 kids out for that. So it's a great community thing that happens. So if you can be part of that, that's coming up. Also, uh, real quick, in a couple of weeks in November, the first three Sundays of November, those are our fall membership classes. So if you've decided that MRCC is your church home and, and you haven't yet become a member, I want to invite you to consider uh, coming to those three classes on three successive Sunday nights. I teach them. Great opportunity for me to get to know you, but it's also how you get connected and involved with all the things that are happening behind the scenes at, at your church. So that happens the 6th, 13th, and 20th of November, those th first three Sundays, in the evening, 6 to 7.30. And then finally, uh, next Sunday is a real significant day in the life of our church. Your board of deacons and the development team have finished all the processes of working with a contractor uh, with regards to building the children's wing out here. And so they're ready to recommend to you that we go ahead and sign on the dotted line for building the children's wing starting December 1st. So this Sunday night is our annual business meeting when we need as a congregation to vote on that, either to approve the board's recommendation or not, so that we can sign and go forward with that construction. So next Sunday evening, if you come down, spend an hour and a half hour with us, that would be terrific. That's going to happen a week from today. And then, Lord willing, uh, we'll have a giant mess out here, which will just make the parking lot that much more fun for a while until we get it done. So good stuff uh, uh, right around the corner. Titus chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Uh, as I said, this is our second week of, of walking together as the people of God through Titus. You remember what we always talk about when we do a verse-by-verse -verse study is that it's God's plan in your life, your Father's agenda in your life to grow you to the place where you receive God's word on its own terms. 
There's nothing wrong with going to God's word in crisis or, or in a moment when an issue arises, but God wants to grow you even beyond that so that you not only do that, but you, you let him speak to you on his own terms about maybe things you don't even know you need to learn about. Uh, and that's what his word is for. And so we go back and forth here at MRCC between topical teaching and what we call expository teaching. We're in Titus chapter 2 this morning. And as you turn there, let me ask you this. Who are the people in your life, we've all got some, who you really look up to and respect? You know, maybe you're thinking of a grandparent, or maybe you're thinking of a parent, or maybe you've got a, a friend that you just really admire, somebody at work, somebody at school. Who are the people that you really respect. I, I, I'm not talking about, you know, the people that you like or enjoy or have fun with. Sometimes those people come in two different categories. There may be somebody who's, who's great for good times, but when things get serious, maybe you wouldn't be looking their direction. When you get serious, who do you want to talk to or, or hear from or, or learn from? There's, there's people in all our lives who definitely don't fit into that category, for example, if I need someone to call a play on the one-yard line in the Super Bowl, I'm not calling on this guy. Somebody said to me after first service, Pastor Greg, let it die. And I said, I, just, I can't. So, uh, yeah, if, if I need someone to announce the winner of the Miss Universe contest, I don't want to use this guy, right? It's not the one I'm looking for. Or, you know, if, if, if I need help with a problem with my Christmas lights, I'm not looking to this guy for help, right? Neither are you. So, so there's people that don't fall into that category, right? But who are the people who do? We've all got some. And even more specifically, how do you and me become those people for others? We're going to hear God in Titus chapter 2 call us to become those kind of people for others. You know how precious those people are to you. God wants you and I to learn how to be that significant, that precious in the life of others. You know, I had a guy like that when I was a young man before I was a believer. It was my uncle, Paul. And, and Paul was somebody I deeply respected because of his character, because of his content, uh, conduct, because of uh, the way he treated me and related to me. All those things came together so that when he sent me that little book, Mere Christianity, I had so much respect for him that I took it seriously. And that's what led me to Jesus. God is calling you and I to become those kind of people in other people's lives. Because he knows how precious it is, just like you do when you think of those folks. And Titus 2 is all about that. And, and here's the thing. You see, we need to become those kind of people because God best makes himself known through human beings. The scripture tells us that Jesus was the word become flesh. That is God become a human being, become one of us. And in him, through him, we get to know God in ways infinitely more significant and profound than a, than a starry sky or a, a sunset over the ocean or all the glories of nature. In him, we get to know God infinitely more. And in the same way, God best makes himself known through 
flesh through people through us. And so he seeks for us to become those kind of people, just like he did with his son. Titus chapter 2 is, is reflecting on all that. So let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 2 and, and listen to what the scripture says. Having taught us that we need to choose our leaders and influencers well, we talked about that last week, Titus chapter 1. Now the apostle Paul shifts gears a little bit. First he says to the young pastor Titus, he says verse 1, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. It's kind of a wrap up to what had gone before. Sound doctrine means good. The word sound means straight, whole, uh, a proper, good sound doctrine means ideas about God. You've heard me say many times, you'll hear me say many times again, that the most powerful influence in anybody's life, whether we're a believer or not, is our ideas about God. Last week, Paul said, be careful who you get them from. And then he finishes up by saying to Titus, always teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. What he means is the ideas that come through God's word. God speaks in lots of ways. He speaks personally, all kinds of ways, but it's all rooted and founded. It's all built up off of his word. And so the apostle says to Titus, teach according to his word. He, he said the same thing to Timothy over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Catch this, friends, because you, you want to grasp this as you desire to grow up in God. All scripture, that is the Bible, all scripture is inspired by God. It comes from him. As a matter of fact, the literal meaning of that phrase is breathed by God. <laughs> comes out of him. All scripture is God, breathed, uh, inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in all righteousness. You want to know God, you want to learn about him in his word. That's how it happens most. Okay, having said that then, he launches on some specific counsel which was related to this talking about becoming people of respect. Look at verse 2. He says, teach the older men... Show of hands if you're an older man. Go ahead and put your... It's a certain reluctance in the room. You can probably feel that. But the reality is we're all becoming older <laughs> without exception. So, yeah, it's across the board. Teach the older men to be... And he mentions some specific things. He says, teach them to be temperate. Talk about what that means in a moment. Teach them to be worthy of respect. That's why I asked the question at the outset. Who do you respect and, and how do we become those people? Teach them to be self-controlled, <laughs> not loose cannons. We're going to explore that in a moment. And also sound, there's that word, sound doctrine. Sound meaning straight, strong, proper. Sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Now, let's pause for just a moment and take this in. Unless the ladies think they're off the hook, in just a moment, Paul's going to address the ladies. He's going to talk about older women, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands at that point, all right? But you are getting older. <laughs> and what he says is that we are all becoming older, but not everyone becomes old well. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from Will Rogers, who said, growing old is mandatory, but growing up is optional. You've heard me say that before. And so Paul says, in order to grow old well... He says, you want to aim for some specific things. And he addresses himself pointedly both to older men and to older women. Now, a moment ago, when I asked about the people you respect, most of us thought of somebody who was older than us. It's rare to think of somebody younger than you, although it does happen. But most of us think of somebody older than us because we instinctively tend to listen and learn from those who are, who are further along the path than us, who've had longer to learn, to live, to grow. And that's important because, friends, if you're growing gray hair, let me say something to you. 
you have a profound opportunity and a platform and a power in your gray hair that God wants to use. You may not think so, but it's real. Those who are younger are looking towards you. Whether they look to you or not is going to depend on whether you aim for these qualities to be worthy of respect. But they're looking towards you because they're anxious and apprehensive about what's next. And, and you've been there to some degree. So the sooner you recognize the power of the gray hair, the more God is going to be able to use you. You see, there's a lot of young men and young women who will hear something from a gray-haired man or a gray-haired woman that they might not hear from anybody else. And so God says, I want, I want to use that. I want to make myself known through you in your old age. I, I read a poll this week by, by Jana Reese in Leadership Magazine, and here's what she found out. She discovered, she's a sociologist, writes books. She discovered that four out of five Gen Z people she interviewed, uh, so thousands of people between the ages of 13 and 25 were interviewed. Four out of five said they would love to have a friendship with someone in their 60s who cares. In other words, there is this tremendous hunger out there. But the reality is sometimes in our gray hair and old age, we get self-absorbed and self-centered and all we want to talk about is our doctor's appointments and we miss out <laughs> on an opportunity. But notice, they want to be in relationship with someone 60 or older who knows them and cares about them, who's willing to build a relationship with them. You know, maybe, maybe you've gotten so self-absorbed with your own cares and concerns that you're completely ignorant of this, but it's going on all around you. When I read that, I think of Jesus saying, the fields are white to the harvest. Pray that there'd be workers in the field. In the same way, the Spirit of God is saying, hey, I want to use your gray hair. I want to use your old age. There's something that happens uniquely in that season of your life on behalf of those younger than you. And, and he says, we get to the place where we're useful in our old age by aiming for some specific things. Notice the first thing he says, teach the older men to be temperate. It means sober. It means never drunk. God is challenging you to set as a goal and a plan and an agenda for your life to never be drunk. Not just only on the holidays, not just only when the game's on, not just only when you're by yourself. Never drunk. Oh, I can't give up never being drunk. Well, yeah, that's why it's hard for you to become worthy of respect. See, God's agenda in your life, in my life, is for us to never be drunk doesn't mean we don't have a glass of wine with dinner. It means we never allow ourselves to become intoxicated, high, or drunk. That's God. If you will make that your goal, if you will say, that's the agenda of my life, you've taken a huge step to becoming a person worthy of respect, to becoming the kind of person who blessed you, who ministered to you. You know, I knew a man uh, shared with me some time ago about uh, walking into a, a, a bar here in town to have dinner and seeing a local pastor drunk at the bar. And he said, wow, before that moment, I thought, well, this is somebody I look up to, and now I just can't ever again. Yeah, now, you know, the guy may have something to offer, but in that moment, he gave away respect. And we do the same thing. 
So God says, make it your ambition to be temperate. Then he says, worthy of respect. The word means the kind of person that other people trust. You know, when I read that, my mind always goes back to when I was in the military. And we had lots of lieutenants that we saluted and captains that we called sir. But only a few of them were people we would really follow. (laughs) We spent a lot of time pretending we would follow all of them. But we all knew, and it was a topic of conversation in the barracks, who would really be somebody we followed if the chips are down. And God says that's going on in your life as well. Your grandkids, your kids, your neighbors, the people you work with, the people you go to church with, people in your community, they're they're deciding whether or not you're worthy of respect. And we get there by aiming for it, by being the kind of people that we can uh, rely on, that other people know that they can trust. Aim for that. And then he says, be sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. What does he mean by that? To be sound in faith means to come to the place where you have truly and completely put all your hope in the grace of God that's in Christ Jesus. That's what it means. You're no longer hoping to have your sins forgiven. You know he died on the cross for you. And every time you receive communion, you receive it knowing that he's got you. That's what it means to be sound in faith. You put all your confidence, all your hope, not in what you can do, not in what you can achieve, but in what Jesus has done for you. That creates a kind of respect. Be sound in faith. Be sound in love. The word is agape. It means unconditional love. Always seeking the best for the other person. You've known a couple of people in your life like that who are always looking out for you, who who seemed unusually concerned about you. God says, aim to be that kind of person. I love what C.S. Lewis writes at the end of Mere Christianity. He talks about nice people or new men, and he says, in the end, the difference between a Christian and a man or woman who isn't is that when you meet the Christian, they will seem uncommonly and unusually interested in you. Yeah, those kind of people earn respect. I mentioned my uncle earlier. He was voted teacher of the year one year in the state of Oregon. And and if you meet him or you sit down with him, you will find him immediately focusing all his attention on you. And all he'll do is ask you about you. What are you thinking? What are you going through? What's happening in your life? And all of a sudden, you'll walk away from this conversation and realize that you haven't talked about him at all because he was so interested, genuinely interested in you. God says, aim to be that kind of person. And then, and then he says, be sound not only in faith and in love. This is a big deal, but in endurance. Can I, just as your fellow human being, can I just say this to you? God invites you to make it your goal to walk your faith all the way to the end of your life. All the way to the last minute. When you got the diapers on and a lady from Jamaica you call mama is taking care of you in the nursing home, all right? To steal a line from the film, right? All the way to the end. And and sometimes we don't make that our goal. Jesus told a powerful story. It's the parable of the sower. And he said there's, there's kind of four ways people react to the gospel. He said some people just ignore it. He said they just completely ignore it, go their own way. And it goes nowhere with them. He says there's another group of people who are so excited, they receive the word with joy. They run forward to the altar on a Sunday morning or they go forward at the the Billy Graham crusade at the kingdom or wherever. They're excited, but it only takes a little while 
for things to get a little bit hard or difficult or challenging, and they just, they wither away. They're gone. They're out the door. They weren't really there. They were just having a mood. And then Jesus says, there's a third group of people. They receive the word, but man, they just get so caught up with other things. Jesus says, life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They get so distracted by those things that, that yeah, they're alive. They're born again. They're saved, but they produce no fruit. They don't have the influence on other people that those that you respect have on you. They just don't. They just, they're too distracted. And then he says there's the last kind. Luke chapter 8, verse 15, a verse that burned into my heart as a young man, a new believer. Jesus said, the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Yeah. In other words, by sticking it out, by aiming to finish, by going through thick and thin, they produce a crop. And God said something to me that I've been holding on to my entire life. He said, Greg, if you won't quit, it doesn't matter what struggles you go through. It doesn't matter what hard times. If you won't quit, I guarantee you, you will be fruitful at the end. Because you bear fruit by persevering. And the people who become worthy of respect are people who have stuck it out, who have persevered, who have endured in our lives. God is inviting you to aim for that, to say, that's where I want to be. I want to be there at the end, just as I'm there now. That kind of endurance makes all the difference. You know, for many years, I watched my wife go run marathons. Never ran one myself. I'm just not man enough, but she is. And she's run a bunch of them, 26.2 miles. And every time I would go watch those, at the beginning, there'd be a whole lot of people. And some of them looked great. And some of them were attracting attention. And, you know, everybody's excited at the starting gate. But then they take off, and the finish line looked way different. And the finish line was, a lot of times, people you wouldn't expect. They weren't the fastest. They weren't the most fit looking. They weren't the youngest or the oldest. They just knew how to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And at the end, every single time, I would watch my wife smile for joy. She'd finished. She'd done it again. She'd finished. Somebody has said that joy is that which is known only by those who finish. And so God invites you and I to make that our ambition. Have you done that? Have you said, I want to be there at the end, even as I'm now? Temperate, self-controlled, worthy of respect, sound in faith and love and endurance. And then the same idea is laid on the ladies. Look at verses 3 through 5. Likewise, teach the older women, again, no show of hands, to be reverent in the way they live. The word means, reverent means, aware of God's presence touch on that in a moment. Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or gossips. Quickest way to give away respect is when you gossip about other people. Anybody who hears you gossip about somebody else immediately moves you down a notch in their regard for you. So don't be slanderers or addicted to much wine. There's the drunkenness idea again. But to teach what is good, and then they can train the young women. Then they can take advantage of their gray hair. To love their husbands and children, be self-controlled and pure, busy at home. By the way, it doesn't mean stay at home. Proverbs 31 paints the idea of the woman busy in her household. That's the idea here. Busy at home, kind, subject to their husbands, participating in that marriage covenant the way God intended, so that no one will malign the word of God, so that God can be seen through you. God can be seen in you. God can be seen in us. Same agenda. 
Ladies, make it your ambition to become the kind of older woman that younger women respect. Not just think is hip or cool or cute or trendy, but respect. Look up to, admire, seek out in serious times. That word be reverent in the way you live means to be aware of God's presence all the time. In other words, to know that he's in every moment in your life. You and I, we all act different when we know somebody's watching. <laughs> we just do, right? And God says, live as if I'm always watching. I remember when I was stationed overseas and uh, we guarded sentry posts in classified installations. And so you'd be in a kind of a, a central area and then there would be cameras all over the place. Well, we had a new young guy came in and we'd go out in twos. He was assigned outside. I was assigned inside. And, you know, it can be a long shift. And so he's out there. And after a while, I look up at my cameras and this guy is like playing cowboys and Indians all over the post. He's like running around pretending he's shooting people. Oh, he got shot himself, fell down. So I let him go on for about, you know, 15 or 20 minutes minutes like that, and then I turned on the intercom, and he says, hey, you know I'm watching, don't you? <laughs> I'll never forget the look on his face, yeah. Sometimes we think we're not being watched, but God says we become worthy of respect when we know that we are always being watched. And, and then look at verse uh, 6, this becoming, this turning into people of respect, it doesn't start when we get old, it begins while we're still young. Teach the young men to be self-controlled, to start on this road. The implication is the young women the same way. To start on this road towards becoming people of respect. Why? Because then we influence and affect others in the way that we treasure being influenced. That's God's goal, so that no one will malign the word of God. And then Paul goes on to say, hey, take this attitude, take this idea to work with you. Uh, he, he talks about the work of a pastor, verses 7 and 8. Then he talks about the work of all the rest of us, verses 9 and 10. Uh, look at what he says. He says, Titus, in your teaching, because that's your job, in your teaching show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that can't be condemned, so that those who oppose you, there will always be somebody, may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say. In other words, I'm to take this awareness of God to work with me, and, and, and I hope that you come away saying, hey, he's got integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech. Doesn't mean we don't laugh sometimes, but you know that underneath everything is a, a gravitas, a seriousness about the things of God. That's how I'm supposed to treat my work. And then your work, verses 9 and 10, teach slaves... <laughs> People who work for others, all right? The idea is, it's a bigger idea here. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything. Can you say that you are submitted to your boss? Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that you can be fully trusted so that in every way we will make the teaching about God our Savior track. Here's the idea again. We earn respect, and then through us, other people can see God, can be inspired by who he really is, sound doctrine. Go to work knowing that you don't go to a job to satisfy your soul, to make your life meaningful. What a pile of hogwash. We go to work in order to represent the truth about who God is who our Father is, who our Savior is. That's where the real fulfillment is found. I, again, I remember when we were overseas in the military, first arrived overseas, Iceland in this case, they sat us down, they said, hey, when you go out into town because of your haircut, everybody knows who you are. So behave in such a way 
that you give our nation the reputation she deserves. Everywhere you go, everything you do, people know you're an American serviceman, servicewoman. So keep that in mind at all times. Ah, boy, that really changes the way you go out into town. God says that to us as well. And he, he says it many times in his word over in Colossians chapter 3. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to earn their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as reward. It is Jesus you are serving when you go to work. All of this turns us into people of respect. And that enables us to matter as much to others as those people have mattered to us. Okay, there's one last idea here that we finish with. In verses 11 to 13, the apostle says this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Jesus has come, made the Father known. It, the grace, the Bible says in John chapter 1, the law came through Moses. Grace and mercy came through Christ. The grace that came through them, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, his return. Catch the idea here. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That's a radical idea. You don't find it in any other religion or faith. The idea in most religions or faiths is that you discipline yourself, you achieve your way into a status in which you please God. That the way forward is to learn to be more disciplined, more sacrificial, but the Christian faith teaches that that is a response to grace, not a thing that we do to get grace. And that grace itself teaches us to say no to ungodliness. When you allow yourself to receive the forgiveness of God, that is what transforms you. That is what radically changes you from the inside out. Many of us think we have to earn our way into that grace, and so we spend a lot of time focusing on ourselves. God says, no, focus on what I have done for you, and that in itself will change you. Let me give you an illustration. I've shared this story before, but I haven't shared the end of this story before, so I'm going to do that this morning. So when I was in the service, you know, we had to go out and qualify with our rifles, and it's a big deal in the Marine Corps to become an expert marksman. So we all went out to the rifle range, practice, 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 and then comes the day when you have to do your actual scoring shoot. And boy, do I want to win that expert badge, and boy, am I competitive, and I want to make it happen, and I want to achieve, and, and so I'm out, there's about 40 of us at a time in a long rifle range, and I happen to be on the far right, we shoot, and gosh darn it, I just don't score as high as I want to. You know, instead of getting 9 out of 10, which makes you an expert, I got 8 out of 10, and in my frustration, in my competitiveness, as soon as I realized after the last shot that I had scored a little lower than I wanted to, in frustration, I got up off the firing line, which I had not been given permission to do. And when I did that, I took my fully loaded automatic weapon and swept it over everybody else there because I was on the right side. Drill instructor lost his marbles. <laughs> he climbed into me like nobody's business, snatched my weapon away, threw me off the firing line, chewed me out. I was given the lowest qualifying score. Oh, right, poor me. No, not poor me. It was a chance to learn something. And I remember going home and just feeling like dirt. <laughs> the next morning, though, 
we got up, and here's the rest of the story. The next morning, we got up and, and went down to the armory to draw our weapons. And we're going through the line, and everybody's issued their weapon. And when I came up through the line, that drill instructor was standing there, and he saw me. And he made it a point to walk over, grab my rifle, and personally give it to me. He made a point to send me. He didn't do that for everybody. He just did it for me. And I understood. He didn't say a word, but I understood in that moment. And as a result of that day, for my entire life, I have been filled with a relentless passion for weapon safety. A gun's not a toy. It's not something to be played with. It's not something to be macho with. It is a tool, a deadly serious tool. And it is something to be regarded with the utmost respect. Now, I didn't achieve that. His grace taught me that. And in the same way, God says, when you receive my grace, when you let me forgive your sins personally, when you let me die and bleed on the cross for you, that grace, that's what teaches you to say no to ungodliness. Maybe you're wrestling with your tongue, your temper, your lust, your greed. Maybe you're wrestling with selfishness, fear, anxiety. It's in the receiving of grace that you are taught to say no to sin and wickedness. And so become people worthy of respect. God wants us to grasp that so that someone can see him in you and in me. Let me finish with a story and we'll be done real quick. The story is found in Luke chapter 19. It's a story you may be familiar with. It's the story of a man named Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Here was Zacchaeus' story leading up to this moment. He, he was a crook, a criminal. A tax collector in those days was a racketeering mafia mobster partnering with a foreign Roman occupying army to extort taxes from people. Not just the stuff we pay today that's, you know, hopefully reasonable, but this was criminal. And that was his life. And he was a betrayer of everybody and he was hated and reviled and loathed and, and he returned that in kind because when we're hated, that's what we give back. And that was Zacchaeus' life. But you know what? For all of that, he was also curious about Jesus. He'd heard about this guy. This guy was different. This guy was special. This guy was unique. And so he wanted to see him. And when he found out that Jesus was in his town, and a crowd was gathering to see him. Zacchaeus, being a short guy, he always got lost in the crowd. He ran ahead, climbed the tree so that he could see over the crowd and see Jesus. Why would a crook be curious? Because he's still a human being. So Jesus sees this, and he does something amazing. Instead of lecturing Zacchaeus about how he was breaking the law and betraying his nation and conducting himself in a sinful way and going nowhere fast. Jesus stops and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, I want to have dinner with you tonight. I want to have dinner with you tonight. Zacchaeus was not expecting that. Nobody was expecting that. But he was so blown away that the scripture says he climbed down and he accepted Jesus' invitation. And then he did something nobody told him to do. Nobody asked him to do. Because of the grace that Jesus gave him in that moment, he said, verse 8, Look, Lord, 
Here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor, and what I have, if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Nobody gave him a class. Nobody taught him a list of duties. His heart was changed by the grace he had received that Jesus had given. So will yours and mine be. And we become people of... Now, as Zacchaeus went on to carry that out, you know what very slowly happened? He became a respected man who had once been out of line. But everybody knew, oh, no, no, this guy has really changed. God wants to use us like that in the life of those around us. And so as we finish this morning, let me just say two things. First of all, to those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, he wants you to let him give you his grace again and again and again through all of your struggles because it's the receiving of that grace that teaches you, that changes you. He wants you to keep receiving it until all the pride and ego and selfishness is broken and you are free to be a gray-haired saint that the young look up to. And if you're here and you're like Zacchaeus and you're living out of bounds, here's the last thing. Jesus is inviting you to come and have fellowship with him. The invitation to dinner in that culture wasn't just food. It was to friendship. It was to know each other. It was to share life. And God's extending that invitation to you. No matter what's been going on, he wants to give you his grace because he knows that's the only way out of what's been going on. And he wants you to know that and feel that. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for teaching each one of us as we've sat here together. God, help us to understand that you invite us, you call us to be people of respect, that we might share you with them. And help us to make that our goal and our agenda. And Lord, for that person who's here like Zacchaeus, maybe came today just curious about you, Help that person to hear your invitation to come and sit, to be with you, to know you as Father. If that's you this morning, all you have to do is accept that invitation. In this moment right now, God hears your heart. You can say, God, I accept your invitation. I receive your son, Jesus, into my life. You can do that right here and right now. God will hear it. And that fellowship will begin. You'll be adopted as the daughter, the son of God in the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior. You can do that right now. God, we thank you for your word this morning. I know you're talking to all of us. Send us from here, still listening, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Nudge the person next to you if they drifted off. Uh, wake them up a little bit and... Uh, you know how precious to you those people are. Let us become those people for somebody else. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon, church. Mm -hmm.